fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Final Welcome to the Fantasy Fullback Dive, brought to you by the good people at the Rotor Street Journal, paving your way to fantasy glory, acting as your lead blocker to fantasy excellence, making all your football-related fantasies come true. I'm your host, Now the Truth Jones. With me, as always, the Wolf of Rotor Street himself, recording in some classy above-garage uh, digs right now. A little jealous. It's been a while since I've seen you. Well, not that long. I don't know, maybe a week, something like that. Done a little bit of work without me. We are done with our uh, division projections, and now we're moving on to a show that I know the Wolf's really excited about. I'm pretty excited about, too. Ten projections that popped, and we're also going to include, as well as a couple, you know, updates that have been coming at us fast and furious, like DeAndre Hopkins. It's just to name one. We've also got a couple of the Rotor Street Journal guys that are going to debate live on the air about a very contentious topic. We're going to give them eight, ten minutes of time, and then the Wolf and I are going to grade their arguments and maybe argue with each other if, if the mood strikes us. So, Wolf, how you doing? Uh, this is, is this going to be our last pre-wedding podcast together? It sure is. Yeah, we're counting down the days, what, three, four days out at this point. So next time I see you guys, I'll be a married man. I'll be fresh off of a, a honeymoon to Santorini in Croatia. So the last Wolf you guys are going to get in a long time. So we tried to really pack in as much important stuff as we can into this one, hit the 10 players that really just blew my mind when I saw their projections after statting everybody out, statting all the teams out. These were the ones that really, really caught my eye. So we'll jump into those. As you mentioned, we also have some important news to cover tonight. The franchise tag deadline passing to get people on long-term extensions. A lot of implications there for some big running backs. And of course, DeAndre Hopkins landing in the Titans. So we got a, a ton to dive into and a couple writers joining us for a nice segment on Travis Etienne. So I love it. I love a big loaded agenda before we head off and, and wed this man over here. <laughs> Yeah, let's do it. Let's get into it right away. It's actually a pretty packed agenda, like you said. Uh, I can see that the, the duck is actually poking around in our Google Doc right now as we speak in real time. So the, the guy's getting his, as I was going to say, he's getting his ducks in a row. And then I realized <laughs> that there would be a pun attached to that that I literally wasn't even thinking of. All right, we're getting into the franchise tag situation. Deadline for franchise tag players to sign long-term deals has come and gone. We're looking at Saquon Barkley. Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, they're all unsigned. Talk to me, Wolf. Like, give me give me five minutes of franchise tag stuff that we should care about. Yeah, I mean, we got to care about this because we're talking about those three names you just said, three fringe first-rounders right there in Pollard, Saquon, and Josh Jacobs, all enormously highly ranked running backs, in my opinion. So this is going to be uh, an interesting thing and an interesting shakeout here to see how this goes. The one that I'm not worried about is Tony Pollard. He is, quote, from everybody expected to play on that $10 million franchise tag here. There wasn't extensive long-term discussions there. He's good to go. He signed his tender. We should expect him to be in training camp. But the other two, Saquon and Josh Jacobs, have both hinted at holdouts. Saquon even more explicitly earlier in the offseason saying I whether or not he would hold out the entire 2023 season, he said that could be a card I could play. Now, I don't expect that. This is a, still a pretty big deal for running backs. And this could be a whole podcast where we debate whether running backs should be this devalued and their positional worth. And, and you know, it's such a tricky conundrum when they are such an on-field important role to pound 
sound the defense, set the tone, and you know they can play a versa, especially when you add the pass catching aspects of Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs as well. It does. It's such an on field presence, but then it also is such a highly replaceable skill set. It seems where. After a couple of years, the next guy's in and he's doing just as good as the one before him. So it's a tricky debate. I don't know exactly how I feel where I stand, but I do know these two two guys and just all the running backs along the league. You could see a bunch of tweets going out. This is unfair. Never play running back, things of that nature. So it, it, there does have this kind of feeling behind it that there might be a movement this year where this is the time where a couple big names could hold out and really send a message. We saw it with Le'Veon Bell just a, a, what five, six years ago. Didn't end up working out so hot for him by the end of everything Uh, oh pretty much ruined his career exactly so i don't know and i don't necessarily expect it it's just kind of a guessing game but either way you do have to weigh that risk at this point adam Schefter did already tweet that josh jacobs is not expected to go to training camp i based on saquon barkley's comments as well i do not expect to see him at training camp and honestly why would he why risk that injury at this stage uh when when you're not playing on a long-term deal for that stuff so I ultimately don't expect to see him in training camp. And then that whether or not they play the rest of the season, you always see the slow starts and getting their legs under them. And maybe the backup really impresses. And suddenly Jacobs, Zamir White looks so good in camp in the number two role. Suddenly he's now uh, in more of a timeshare. Who knows exactly what happens, but it's considered goos. Either of these guys that they hold. So I did jump down, most importantly, Barkley. He was in the top 10 for me. He is now at number 20. I still consider him a a really important second rounder. If you're there at that turn and he's sitting there, it's really tough to pass up the upside in a Giants offense, I think, to take the next step. Jacobs fell down a few spots now to 26 on the big board. But again, after the running back three season, after how valuable he proved to be to Josh McDaniels, uh, he had to fall. But then you, of course, in that, that, if you're bumping those guys down, you do bump up as a sleeper. Zamir White, I just mentioned him, uh, second-year guy, really exciting talent. He could be in uh, – if you know Scott Barrett, one of my favorites, tweeted out, this does remind him a lot of Le'Veon Bell and uh, that how he took James Conner, hammered him as a last-round pick over and over and over in July. And then we saw Conner's ADP start to creep up. So if you're still doing these early best ball drafts, Samir White still going as the running back 66 right now, still one of those last round guys. You can get lots of upside potential if something happens there. Behind behind Barkley, it is a little messier. I don't know if it's Brita. They said he's kind of the clear number two, but then they drafted Eric Gray. There could be more of a committee situation. Honestly, I just feel like they'd probably just rope it with Daniel Jones a bit more and let him kind of carry this team even more. So we'll talk about Daniel Jones a little bit later when we talk about 10 projections that pop as a little teaser for you. I love that guy. And and losing Barkley as a key weapon would hurt, but I also think they might lean on him more too. So we'll wait. We'll see. Not worried for Pollard. In fact, I bumped him significantly about Barkley, which was not the case beforehand. And now Barkley has fallen and Josh Jacobs has fallen. Whether or not they hold out, whether or not they start slow, there's just a lot more added risk until we learn a bit more about what their plans will be. And you're right. We that, you know, when you were talking earlier about we could do a whole podcast just about what the undervaluing of running backs is. Is it legit? Is it not? I mean, I don't. I, as you were talking, I was kind of drifting off, thinking about what my opinion of it is, and I really don't know. I, I get why they're commanding less money. They, they're replaceable, and at the same time, they're going out there and getting the absolute shit knocked out of them. <laughs> and some of them are truly great. I don't know what the it, it, I mean, they're all making more money than I'm making, but still, it seems like given what a quarterback gets, given what these elite receivers get, I I have to think they're underpaid. And yet at the same time, if you're just a cog in the machine and they can replace you on a whim, 
Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. We could talk about that another time. Maybe we should. It's but capitalism at its finest. I mean, that's how the real world works too. But it's it's yeah. such a physical, demanding position, and I, I think real life wise, so important. All the peers will hold them in the highest regard, but at the end of the day, they're not writing the, the paychecks. So it's right. tough. It's a really, really just tricky situation that there is no real clear answer to. And also, I, mean, I don't know. I guess my my last comment on this, and then we'll move to DeAndre Hopkins, and then we'll bring the guys on. Is it's it's just a, a very very slippery slope. There's so few guys that have like kind of earned. I don't know wh- how many how many of these running backs have earned the respect over with years of production where, where they can command that. Derek Henry, who else? CMC got a big deal. CMC, Chubb got sure. himself a big deal. Uh, Zeke got a pretty decent deal, and now look at where he's at. So. Oh man! Yeah, I, I guess I would. I guess I would leave by saying somebody like Jacobs is holding out. What What else is he going to do? He's not going to go like work in a restaurant or something. He's an NFL running back. Like you know, even if he feels like he is worth a couple million more than he's getting, I ultimately just believe the guy is going to play football, and I believe Saquon Park Barkley is going to play football, and obviously, like you said, I believe Pollard's going to play football. They're football players. They have a limited window where they can earn money. I think taking a year off would be crazy, even if they feel like they're not getting what they deserve. That's yeah. just my opinion. Yeah. All right. DeAndre Hopkins. Let's talk about him. Uh, he is expected to sign a two-year contract with the Titans. It reportedly comes with $12 million a year. He can make up to 15 with incentives. Uh, it came down to the Patriots and the Titans, allegedly, and he's deciding on the Titans. Without knowing too much about the situation, when I saw that, I cringed. Yep. I don't know. What, what were your thoughts? A cringe was the right reaction. This is about as ugly of a landing spot as you could ask for. Uh, I I hate everything about it. You had like a bunch of wolf knowledge that was going to like make me rethink my cringiness. No, no, I don't have much for you. Uh, One, as a Patriots fan, I would have loved to see DeAndre Hopkins come here. I don't think the Patriots would have been that much better of a landing spot than the Titans, but there's a lot of reasons to be extremely upset about this. On the positive, DeAndre Hopkins himself. Last year, had a solid year, as good as he's been uh, in the last five years. 77% of the games he was active for, he was top 24. Six of the nine games, he saw 11 targets. He was the wide receiver, nine in points per game with 17.7. So Hopkins himself, still like the player, still think he can get it done, still think he can demand targets. The issue is, are there going to be a lot of targets up for grabs in this disgusting Titans aerial pie? Sure, A.J. Brown, I'll, I'll steal in this one from Mike, who's going to be joining us in a little bit. A.J. Brown ranked ninth in target share both 2020 and 2021. That sounds really good, but when you're talking about the target share of one of the lowest volume attacks, it doesn't end up equating to much. The most targets he saw was 106 and 104 in those two years. So really, yes, big slice. Big slice didn't end up mattering because of the pie being so damn small. The Titans have been one of the lowest pass rate teams ever since Mike Vrabel came there. 31st, 31st, 30th, 25th, and 30th in passing attempts. And in those two years that we saw A.J. Brown really have solid seasons, that was when Arthur Smith was still there. And for all the faults that we've seen there with the uh, Falcons over there, with the misuse of pits and whatever you want to throw out there, he did command a very, very efficient passing game despite being low volume. They were eighth in passing touchdowns in 2019 and 2020. So they were able to sustain some viable fantasy passing game products Ever since he left, though, it's been an absolute 
abysmal disaster. Todd Downing was a nightmare. He has been fired since then, but even still, you know, Tim Kelly comes in and he's kind of an unknown. He had a, a year in Houston last year as the offensive coordinator, 26th in pass attempts, 28th in yards, 20th in touchdowns. I don't expect anything great from him. And especially given that Vrabel has shown his hand, he wants to pound the clock, use his defense and just bleed you out. So I don't expect much at all from Hopkins. I mean, probably a viable wide receiver too, but where he goes, there's just more intriguing names at this point. When you also factor in the risk of him being a year older, we saw Julio Jones go there to die last year. And yes, AJ or two years ago, AJ Brown was there too. He was the wide receiver too. Uh, and st- he died. And that just also speaking of wide receiver twos makes me quite worried for Traylon Burks, a nice, exciting young talent that I was intrigued by going around round six, seven. I didn't take a ton of him. And, and I'm very happy that I have it in these early best ball drafts. Cause just cause I didn't love this passing attack, even when he was the number one and now is the number two, I want nothing to do with him. The past two seasons, Nick Westbrook, Akini has been the quote unquote, number two, 476 yards last year. Their number one was Robert Woods, 527. Uh, nobody had more than four touchdowns it's gross I don't want anything to do with Burks at this point as much as I like the player I just hate the situation Chigo Konku a tight end I was very intrigued by maybe a little less impacted because tight ends a different role but even still you're talking about now maybe the third option in a already small pie so I didn't want much of this offense anyways Hopkins getting there. I imagine if you landed with the Chiefs or the Bills or all these kind of quote unquote reports of him ring chasing. Oh, it would have been a dream. And then he lands here. I think it's about as bad of a spot. I guess maybe the clearest path to being a true number one was here. But even still, it just ruins a couple young, exciting talents. It's not great for Hopkins himself. Yay, Ryan Tannehill's a little more fantasy relevant. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that what we all want? Ugh, just not for me. I, I, it just makes everything here just untouchable, in my opinion. Other than Derrick Henry, of course. Just money? You think they just offered him more money than anybody else? Yeah, I do. Because why else would you ever go to the lowest volume attack you possibly could? Uh, I don't know. I remember last year us doing some of our divisional preview shows and you talking about Robert Woods and I just was rolling my eyes and you're like, hey, you don't know. He could be the top guy there. And I mean, I think he actually was the top guy there. He was the top guy. 500 yards. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Right. So – yeah, I'm, uh, it pains me to say it. I, I think he's going to stay. You said he could be a viable wide receiver, too. I would may- maybe even lean into wide receiver three territory there. And the Titans, just they just blow as far as that goes. Unless something changes that I'm not expecting to change, uh, which has happened before, I'm not anticipating big things. I'm pulling for the guy, though. Of All right, course. let's get into player. segment number two of the show that we like to call undervalued or overvalued. And for this segment, of course, we're going to bring in some ringers, some experts from the Rotary Street Journal team. Fantasy football, uh, fantasy fullback dive is very excited to welcome the doc. He's obviously a longtime crowd favorite. And also uh, MOH, Michael O'Hara, who this is my first time actually ever meeting the guy, but I hear nothing but awesome stuff. So nice to meet you. Welcome to the show. And I hope you really stick it to the duck, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> As I was hmm. supposed to be unbiased, actually. So, you know what? I hope this is a real strong competition between the two of you. I hope you both make great points. And, you know, that's really all I got to say. We're talking about Travis Etienne, a guy who I saw. I saw a TikTok mock draft today, and he was, uh, I think, mid-third round, something like that. I don't know where you guys would take him. We're talking about overvalued versus undervalued. Which one of you guys is going to be taking the position that Etienne is overvalued? That, that would be me. All right, my man. 
And uh, right. undervalued, so I'm assuming by process of elimination, that's you, Duck. You think the guy, you've always loved that guy. Yeah, I know. I tried trading from trading him for him. You know what I mean. I can't get the words out. I, was I trying do. To I remember. Or, yeah. He knows he's going to get his ass whooped already, so he's getting nervous, stuttering over himself over there. Come on, Duck. No, no. Welcome onto the show, boys. Uh, just to make sure Truth did a good job in introducing mm-hmm. it, but we're going to try this new segment out where we talk about a player where we have differing opinions on staff about him, someone who thinks he's undervalued, someone who thinks he's overvalued. And I have my opinion, too. What I want the segment to be is also we'll acknowledge who made the best argument, the most convincing points, uh, even if I have my opinion. Did it change at all? So we'll let you two boys duke it out. How we'll do it is we'll give, you know, the first one five or so minutes. We'll give the second one five or so minutes. And then if there's any rebuttals or retorts that you guys need to make to what you've heard, and then me and Truth will t- ultimately decide who won the argument, who uh, who dominated. But first, yeah, just duck. Welcome to the show. How's everything, Ben? <laughs> oh, everything's been great. Work's been crazy. I wrote a story today. It was absolutely wild. Connected uh, Thomas Edison Madonna and both world wars together into a ship that is currently sitting and rotting in Kentucky. It's absolutely- you, you're talking about Madonna, the pop star, not the mother of Christ, right? <laughs> Correct. Okay. Check. Excellent. Nice. Yeah, it was, it was absolutely <laughs> wild. The fun part of my job. Awesome. And Mike, first time on the show too. How, how's everything been there? <laughs> Great. I'm um, excited to be on today, but uh, just slaving away getting pumping out articles for rsj doing some stock watches uh but just looking forward to the season getting going training camp starting here in a week or so so it's really excited for football to get going absolutely hell yeah boys all righty well why don't we get this debate off and running i'm gonna ultimately remove myself and truth just for the, the segment for now so you guys have the floor have the uh the space uh, we'll start with overvalued so mike will give you the floor to start i'll leave you on duck so you can kind of listen listen in get your points kind of gathered here and i'm going to remove myself mike you got five minutes tell me why travis Etienne is overvalued all right uh i mean so the first point i really want to hit with Etienne is something that everyone kind of pinpointed coming out of college was his passing his work in the passing game and in his first season, well, it was his second season in the NFL, his first season getting consistent work, his rookie season was plagued by injury. He missed the entire season. Uh, his role in the passing game was virtually non-existent. I mean, he had a 7.8% target share, which ranked 38, 31st among running backs. And I mean, truly, I just don't see that increasing at all. I don't really uh, the path for him to get to a double digit percentage target share. I just don't really see it. Uh, Doug Peterson, the Jaguars head coach, has a history of not really utilizing running backs in the passing game. Um, this one exception was in 2019 when Miles Sanders caught 50 passes, but we have to put some provide some context there. The top receivers in that wide receiver room in 2019 were Alshon Jeffrey and Nelson Aguilar. And everyone knows about Nelson Aguilar. I mean, the guy who couldn't catch the ball and has basically been phased out of the NFL. And on top of that, both of those guys missed at least six games those season. Aguilar missing six and Jeffrey missing seven. And at times uh, during that season, the Eagles' top wide receiver was Greg Ward. I mean, does anyone really remember that guy? I remember him just from fantasy football. But outside of that, I mean – if your top option at wide receiver is Greg Ward, Sanders, the running back, is going to end up getting targets. I mean, targets and receptions. 
But since then, uh, Doug Peterson running back has never really been heavily utilized in the run game. Since that uh, season for Sanders in 2019, no running back has even cracked 35 receptions. No running back has come close, really, to the 50 that Sanders put up in 2019. And on top of that, we see in this upcoming season in Jacksonville, Ingram, Evan Ingram, the tight end, signs an extension. Christian Kirk is back. Zay Jones is back. And Calvin Ridley in, has entered the picture. And because of that, it's just really crowded and there will be a lot of competition for targets. I just don't see a path for ETN cracking a double-digit target share. And back to Doug Peterson, uh, not so much in the passing game, but how he prefers to handle his running back room. Everyone really knows that he prefers to have a running back by committee. He came out and said this during the pre-draft process back in April, and that we've seen that throughout his time in Philadelphia. Um, During his time as a head coach, no running back has hit the mark of 14 carries per game, which is really concerning, especially where ETN is being drafted in the third, fourth round right now. And like I mentioned earlier, uh, Peterson has really emphasized that he wants to take a workload off of ETN's shoulders. And after overtaking James Robinson, ETN handled just over 60% of the team's running back carries, which is just not something that we're going to be seeing this year. I fully expect his workload to be reduced. And I think we can expect to see him to handle about 55% of the team's running back carries, which honestly isn't something I'm really interested in. And over the course of the full season, a a reduction to 55% of the team's running back carries could be as many as three carries a game that he's not seeing anymore. And when I'm talking about that uh, reduction in workload, especially on the ground, um, that's coming from their new addition, Tank Bigsby. He was their third round draft pick this season. And I think he's going to be taking a, a, not a big chunk, but it will definitely be noticeable. He'll be working in a complimentary role aside ETN. But the part of the game that really concerns me about Bigsby taking work away from ETN is at the goal line. ETN was one of the league's least efficient goal line rushers last year. He had, I believe, 14 carries from inside the five, and that only resulted in either three or four touchdowns. I don't have the number in front of me, but he was three. He was notably one of the worst rushers at the goal line. And Bigsby profiles to be a guy that can take away from this role if ETN remains inefficient. Bigsby's six foot, 215 pounds, NFL ready frame, and he's very, he's very powerful back who can ha- who can run the ball downhill and can handle contact. If ETN remains inefficient, I think that he can have this the goal line role taken away from him. And I wouldn't be shocked if we see Bigsby um, taking the goal line role right away to start the season. On top of that, uh, Bigsby's gotten some really good hype coming out of the Jaguars camp um, with the running backs coach for the Jaguars saying that they absolutely love him. I don't have the quote in front of me, but they they're in big favor of him. You can take that as you will. It's just training camp hype. But at the end of the day, ETN's a fourth round pick going in the range of running back 12 to running back 14. And I'm not particularly interested in a running back in a committee projects to have a below average target share but, uh, when compared to other running backs and may not even be used at the goal line. Just all of these are screaming uh, a guy who's going to disappoint on your roster. Uh, some players who are going in a similar range that I'd rather have are players like Jameer Gibbs, 
Jerry Judy or even going the quarterback route with Lamar Jackson. And you could even wait if you're looking to get a running back in that range. You can wait on players like Aaron Jones, J.K. Dobbins or even Cam Akers. Oh, timed up perfectly. The one minute timer just went off. Well done. Well said. Some very intriguing points for all of us to consider. Duckling, the floor is let me just set the timer to make sure you get the equal opportunity. The floor is now yours. Why is Travis Etienne undervalued? Well, the main crux of my argument comes with two words, some of my favorite words, positive regression. It alludes sort of to what you're talking about. I have a story for you. I told the wolf a similar story. Do you know a man by the name of Nicholas Chubb? Yeah, I assume you do, right? Yeah. One year, he had 14 rushes at the goal line and rushed for negative 15 yards. That's Nick Chubb. That's a big, powerful bruising back. The team talked about bringing in Kareem Hunt more to serve as the goal line back. And guess what? Nick Chubb feasted at the goal line the next year. Now, not exactly the same style of running back, <clears throat> but one year does not a goal line back make. Not to mention that was ETN's first year coming back off of a Liz Frank injury, which is notorious for draining a person's explosivity and their power. Now, ETN is not exactly what you would call a power back by any stretch of the imagination, but he is more than capable of laying the thunder. If you don't believe me, go watch his tape at Clemson. He's breaking tackles left and right physically and juking people out. He has the ability to create for himself. Now, getting over to uh, sort of the point that you were talking about, you said you had a, you saw him, what, around 55% of the rushes, correct? Two yeah, rushes. in that range. Last year, he only saw 49% of the total team rushes. And he put up 1,125 yards. I'm getting ahead of myself here. On only 220 rushes at a clip of 5.1. I don't expect him to do quite 5.1. I had him around 4.8. But I had him around 52, 53% of the team rushes, which with given the fact that Jacksonville ran less plays last year than their opponents, I expect that to flip. I expect that to flip a lot. That offense is growing, ascending, and – I fully expect him to be a bit of a pass funnel offense, sort of like what you said. You follow the team's moves. I expect him to be a pass funnel offense. Now, what makes the difference is last year, Jacksonville targeted running backs at the fifth lowest rate in the league at only 14%. League average was 18%. Doug Peterson came out this year and was talking about wanting to give Travis Etienne a larger role in this offense. And that would involve using his specialty with speed, hitting the gaps and catching the ball in space and creating with that. He averaged, what, 9.1 yards per reception. It might have been nine flat. Either way, that's an elite number for a running back. And that uh, Miles Sanders year that you were referencing, the very next year he saw just a slight reduction in his target share with a full complement around him meaning Doug Peterson will bump up a guy's workload if he proves his medal and he proves his worth. Now, as for uh, like ETN in general, we're talking about where did I have these stats? We'll pull up these stats. I'm schmoozing a little bit. According to the next-gen stats, ETN was the league's third most explosive player, not just running back, ranking only behind Kenneth Walker and Justin Fields. He led the league in total rush yards over expectation with the worst offensive line in terms of run blocking in the league getting 5.1 a clip you're telling me that that guy is going to get taken off the field more for a third round running back i remind you travis Etienne is a first round running back he has first round capital and in that uh, article everybody was just freaking out that just dropped yesterday about how 
singing Tank Bigsby's praises, they were very well deserved. But right at the very start, it said this basically this is Travis Etienne's backfield. He is let's see if I can pull up the exact quote. I had it in front of me. Uh I don't care if that has enough time. There is no question the Jaguars will have a clear number one running back in Travis Etienne. But the snaps where Etienne isn't on the field can still be won, meaning this is Etienne's backfield. It's his to work with. Where's my article info? I got a bunch of tabs pulled up. <clears throat> Travis Etienne was close to breaking out last year, but a lack of touchdowns held him back. He was tackled so often inside the five. He averaged over five a carry, over nine perception. This year, the Jaguars often should take a big leap forward in year two with Doug Peterson. Expect ETN to add his to his five touchdowns from 22, 22 and crack the top five for fantasy running backs. That's Ryan Weiss from Club FFL. The Jaguars came out recently, said they were confident in Travis ETN. I'm sorry, I'm not as articulate as you are. Uh, my ADHD gets me running. And I'm going to hang my hat on the Jaguars planning to have a bigger role for ETN. I grant you he might lose some goal line opportunities to tank, but he's not going to lose them all. And he's not going to convert four out of 40 attempts inside the red zone for a touchdown. That's just not going to happen. He's due for positive regression. If he gets to eight touchdowns on the ground, which I think we can both agree is very doable, especially for one of the league's most explosive players, he can catch two to four touchdowns. And he had, Golly, what, 1,400 yards from scrimmage last year? He might hit 16 this year. I think that he's being a little slept on. Time is up, Duckling. All righty. Duck has made his points. Mike has made his points. Let me bring in the truth here. Um, I want to give you guys a chance to respond to each other, but we're also running slightly above time here. So, Mike, if you have one thing you can say to Duck, what would be your one response? And then, Duck, if you have one response to Mike, what would be your one response? Uh, my, my, the one thing I will say is I agree that, uh, ETN has the, uh, athleticism and explosivity to burn me this year and, and break out. But I just, the history of Doug Peterson and how he uses his running backs with the lack of receiving work and the lack of high workload, it just, it's not something that's appealing to me. And there's other options that I'd rather have, especially in PPR formats. Ducklin. Absolutely. Tank Bixby is a great overall back he's very well-rounded he doesn't do anything spectacular but he does everything well my final point is the history of first-year running backs historically getting more targets from year one to year two and we're going to agree to call etn's year last year his year one right uh jamal charles saw an uptick of like 39 to 55 targets year one to year two. Joe Mixon went up from 34 to 55. I'm naming all sorts of backs that share similarities to ETN. LaShawn McCoy jumped from 55 to 91. And Zeke jumped up from 39 to what would have came out to about 60. If he would have played all 16 games, he was suspended for six that year. Just a little laying out the history of running backs getting more targets year one to year two. All righty. Let me ask you guys each a question. I mean, you can just you can answer consensus here. What is the average draft spot for ATN in a snake draft? Would you guys say when, when we're determining overrated, underrated? Where is he usually going? He's going right now about uh, early fourth. Is his early like late third, early fourth? Yeah. Okay. And what what RB is he? Do you know that off the top of your head? Yeah, he, he's going anywhere between twelve and fourteen right now. Really? Okay. Yeah, fr- fringe RB1 right now, yeah. Wow. 
Okay. Yes. So my take, and then Truth, you can uh, vote for for your winner. I'm I am one, and Duck, you came with a uphill climb here because I was on the overvalued side entering this, just as my personal opinion, and. I don't leave here to convince me that he's undervalued. I would have needed to be convinced he was going to jump in receptions and that he might score some more touchdowns. And I don't think with Calvin Ridley coming in with more mouths to feed with Doug Peterson's history uh, beyond that one year with Sanders, I don't think I am compelled enough quite yet after your argument. You did convince me, Duck, that he's – I didn't realize some of those explosive runs. uh, In fact, some of those stats about the after contact stuff, I did not realize he was as strong of a runner as I may have given him credit for. So I did after uh, reading your article and, and hearing your stuff, I bumped up his rushing yards per clip that I had in my projections, his rushing yardage. Um, I even have met 53% rushing share too. So I have him still seeing the majority of the work, uh, but I just was not convinced enough. And I think Mike brought up some good points about the, the goal line inefficiency. Maybe it's a Liz Frank. It's I think it's worth bringing up, but ultimately I do still side on overvalued. I have not been convinced enough yet. Duck despite some of the intriguing points you made about him as a runner, I don't buy just because some other great backs jumped in year two. I just think there's too many mouths. And now that's even more crowded. I do not see the regression, uh, the positive regression that you might be thinking of. So I award one point to Michael. What do you say, Mr. Truth? This is one of my favorite things just to do, not only for the Rotor Street Journal and fantasy fullback guy, but just in life, which is where I get to kind of sit in judgment over guys that are smarter than me. For some reason, you know, this is America. This is how it works. Yeah, this this guy is going to decide which one of you is better, even though you're both way more knowledgeable than he is. This I actually like this topic going in because although I kind of have my gut feelings about Etienne, you guys both hit me with a lot of info that I didn't know. So thanks for that. I thought you both did a good job. Kind of agree with the wolf in that duck had an uphill climb. And when one thing about duck is that when, when he believes in somebody, man, he goes to the mat for him. Like he, he, he is a ride or die. Like he's, he's the guy, if he's loyal to you, like, you know, he's doesn't matter what happens. He's with you. So here's what I thought. I thought that, um, MOH made a really good point. Just talking about the Doug Peterson, uh, when, when Greg Ward led, led Philly, for instance, I, that took me back. I was like, Oh yeah, I remember Greg Ward. And how it made sense that the running back was getting a little more love when Greg Ward was the guy. And then he brought up the receiving core in Jacksonville. And I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. So he's already only getting 7.8%, I think, of the target share. Seeing him jump too much from that, it would be counterintuitive, I would say. Doug made a good point, I thought, when he just talked about how few plays Jacksonville Mm -hmm. ran relative to the league last year and how they almost certainly will see a bump. And I do agree with that. I'm not sure the percentage bump that they're going to see would necessarily, I don't know, give Etienne the jump that that he would need to get for him to be like undervalued at this point. I did think that it was interesting when Duck brought up the uh, overexpected yards from Etienne. I, I got to say, I always see that stat as a double-edged sword. Like on one end, you can look at it and say, Wow, uh, you know, what an incredible accomplishment this guy did. He, he got 200 more yards than he should have gotten. I mean, hats off to him. That's great. I watch a lot of Premier League soccer, and whenever it's like a guy gets more uh, more goals expected than he should have, you're like, wow, that's incredible. What an amazing individual effort. I'll bet he scores less next year is <laughs> usually how that ends up coming out. I mean, it could, it could go the other way, but I'm always impressed by that, and then I'm always like, I, don't know, I could see him going downhill because – Sometimes that stuff's fluky, so who knows what's going to happen. 
also duck. Uh, last but not least, don't be comparing at the end to Jamal Charles. <laughs> That's sacrilege in this house. Um, I love Jamal Charles. Anyway, so I, I would I would give my point to MOH, but I thought that Duck made uh, some excellent points. We'll see how the overexpected yards ends up shaking out. And, you know, there's always a part of me, even though I, I love to trash him, it's kind of always kind of in the back of my mind pulling for Duck to get these things right because I love listening to him on the group chat when he's right about stuff. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, Duck. If you, so now you have three against you here. So if, if ETN ends up just lighting the league on fire, oh, we're going to hear my word, it. all three of us will sit live and you can just – harpoon you know just destroy us live i will absolutely allow that we'll give you five minutes to we'll give you five minutes to tell us how idiotic we all are forever doubting you duckling uh absolutely (laughs) y'all keep going against me and you guys keep calling me the running back guru that's true of all people i should trust for running backs it should be the duck who just has nailed breakout after breakout after breakout so i will that's part of why i wanted to be convinced by i do and i do trust all your opinions too and I think Mike said it at the end there too. If a talent like Etienne certainly is good enough to prove all of us wrong by just year two, I mean, it is a sophomore season again. He could just take a natural step forward a year removed from the surgery and just light it on fire. But I, and I did truth that that point about the more plays being run. I thought that was a great one too. You guys did both. It's tough. You both oh, made yeah. great points. Uh, and that's why yeah, we wanted was, to be fair. It was, the, it was the duck's point. I just regurgitated it. <laughs> no, I know. I thought it was a really good one to bring up. I, I love that point that duck made. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, re- really well argued in both cases, but uh, I still side on uh, overvalued. Sounds like truth and Mike staying that way too, despite duck's valiant efforts over here. So thank you for Mike, joining. Mike, you've done well. <laughs> I appreciate it, Doc. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, we well, need we to run definitely this have more of these as well. I love this segment. I think this is a fun one. We'll definitely have to find some more uh, opinions that we're all split on uh, as a staff and get some more debate going on. Well, thank you, think, you, gentlemen. Do we, do we have in the budget for us to maybe – to really put this segment over the top, get some like judicial robes and like British, like, <laughs> um, like exactly. Exactly. I'm, not, exactly. I'm just saying I would do that if I had to do it. The next big purchase for the RSJ will be a gavel and a, a wig for the judge. Yes. I love that. <laughs> Do I get my bonus point for wearing swag? Bonus okay. point for duck. That's true. Beautiful swag. <laughs> still lose two to one, even with the bonus point. <laughs> <laughs> love it. All right, gentlemen. Well, thanks again for your time. Great Thank arguments you, both ways. And uh, we look forward to having you back on soon. Oh yeah. yeah. See you guys. Later guys. Cheers. All righty. And thank you again to those guys. That's a fun segment, huh? Truth. That I like fun. that one. I actually, um, and I mean, you know, I, I like, I like to give duck a hard time as, as we all do. I, I went into that not knowing enough to actually have an opinion. Um, and so I really was just listening to what the guys said and, uh, you know, MOH is, I thought was a little more compelling, although the duck always comes with a lot of info. He does. He's a believer. He is. I love, I love the conviction <laughs> of the duck, but now we are going to move on. And now I, I got the time up against me here. So I'm going to have to be as efficient okay. as I've ever been here as we move into the 10 projection that pop as we do that. I haven't even called for it yet. That thumbs up button is so greatly appreciated. If you're still here with us catching this live, that would be so great. appreciate we got a couple comments, Daniel Howland. Great to see you in there. He wants to Any know questions? if there's going to be an investment guide. What's that? He wants to know if there's going to be an investing guide. Uh, I got to do my best. That's the toughest part here with the wedding, with the, the trip. Uh, I think CJ, Mike, some other guys are going to kind of rally and, and help the, the man over here get that thing done. So, yes, hopefully, fingers crossed, projections are clearly done. That's a big part of the guide. So I'm hoping so. I don't want to promise anything I can't deliver on because uh, this year is just as crazy as any years. But 
Thank you uh, for for asking, Daniel. I know you were one of our our loyal purchasers, one of the first people to get it last year. Yeah, so thank was. you. But again, a thumbs up button would be so greatly appreciated if you're enjoying what you're hearing, and of course, likes and subs are uh, always really great for us. So yeah, all righty, time for the uh, the featured segment, huh? Let's get right into it. We're gonna do ten of these: uh, two quarterbacks, three running backs, three wide receivers, two tight ends. We're gonna start with Justin Herbert, uh, and we're talking about projections that pop. I really do love this, and it's gonna be impressive if you can be efficient with this because these are things that we would definitely like to talk about um here's a headline option for you this quarterback might break the passing record and fantasy points record uh, for quarterbacks maybe overall i don't know in 2023 why justin herbert instead of insert quarterback here justin herbert could outscore patrick mahomes what do you think yeah absolutely truth so last year entering the offseason goes that the quarterback two in pretty much every league you're in and he ends up being marred by early season rib injuries and a shoulder injury horrendous play calling ultimately fell from the quarterback two in points per game the year before all the way down to the quarterback 16 it was ugly but i'm expecting a humongous turnaround in 2023 for three main reasons yes you can't predict health but he's going to be fully healthy entering training camp he had shoulder surgery and is already slinging that thing around the yard but the big two things are his cast is that much better with Quentin Johnson, a massive rookie addition. One of my favorite receivers in this class, only JSN above him in my rookie rankings, has now been added, giving them one of the top trios in the league for the Chargers. And then stabilizing this, one of the big things that has happened with Herbert is one of Williams or E. Keenan Allen go down and the whole offense really starts to sputter out a bit. So now you have, if one of those two big guns goes down, you still have two really big guns. And if all three are healthy, it might be the best trio in the league outside of maybe the Seahawks. But the biggest jump is in play calling, in my opinion. Getting rid of Lombardi, one of the worst, slowest, just dinking, dunking play callers. When you have a gunslinger, the way he called his plays last year was inexcusable. They replaced him with Kellen Moore, and I am so stoked about this. He got fired by Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys for throwing too much, scoring too much. The exact quote was something along the lines, Kellen wants to light up the scoreboard and I want to run the ball. Uh, And then Staley comes out and says, I want Kellen Moore because we want to blitz the defense. So it seems like there's now a much more of a philosophical alignment between the head coach, between Kellen Moore. And when Kellen Moore was allowed to just do his thing, we only really saw two and a quarter or so seasons of him doing his thing with Dak being healthy. But let's look at real quick what that looked like. So, In 2019, the Cowboys ranked first in total yards, sixth in points, second in passing yards, fifth in passing touchdowns, Dak quarterback two. In 2020, and I know you we've talked about this before, Truth, and you said you had Dak this year. So you, of all people, recognize the fact that he was going ballistic. 20, 46, 34, 44 points, two over 44-point games in his first full ones, was the quarterback one in points per game, and then he got hurt. In that next fifth game, the the first half, he had 15 in the first half. So he was on pace for another 30-point game. They got hurt against the Giants. But was the quarterback one in points per game. Next season, he comes back and Kellen Moore, first in total yards, first in total points, sixth in pass attempts, second in pass yards, third in pass touchdowns. Dak was quarterback six. It wasn't until 2022 that this offense started to slow down a bit, and there's rumblings that McCarthy started to intervene, mix in with the play calling duties, and they still were pretty good. 11th in yards, fourth in points, still solid, but the passing game did slow down. 19th attempts, 14th in passing yards, 9th in TD 
80s. Still solid, but not what we had seen in those two and a half or so full seasons of Dak and Kellen Moore just being unleashed. And I think we can all agree that Justin Herbert is a significantly more talented player than Dak Prescott, who's solid himself, but Herbert is that next level. Many people think the best young arm in the game outside of Pat Mahomes. So now you stir in this booming vertical offense guy that loves to sling it all around the yard and also likes to run his quarterbacks at the goal lines. Dak had three plus touchdowns on the ground in all of his years under Kellen Moore and before last season, Justin Herbert had five, then three touchdowns. And he's actually, by many measurables, more athletic than Josh Allen. So maybe even some rushing touchdowns get added to this mix. I do think they are going to throw, throw, and throw more often than ever before. And especially throw it deep with this exciting young talent hit core. Quentin Johnson, Kellen Moore, I think he could actually, Justin Herbert, threaten for that passing record of 5,477 yards that Peyton Manning, especially when you mix in that extra game that Herbert has, he's already hit the 5,000 benchmark once, and I think this will be a season he can break even further through. 5,427 passing yards, 39 touchdowns, 267 yards, and five touchdowns on the ground. That has him coming out right now as the quarterback two in my projections with only Josh Allen ahead of him right now. Whew. That, that, I mean, I hope you're right just because it would be so fun. I, I don't know. We'll see. That's cool. I, I don't want to comment too much on it because there's no way we're going to, are you, are you looking at a time constraint here personally? Like you got to, I'm okay with time. I, I can rip through all these. If you had to leave, I just, no, I, I don't. It's like you suggested, like we were up against the, the wall here. And so I was, you know, I, I didn't want to like take up too much airtime commenting if you had to be done in like 20 minutes or whatever. I know you. No, no, no. I, I I can keep rolling if 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 yeah. you're. I, I'm gonna roll through it all regardless. I just I'm, know sometimes you got to get going. So I'm I'm, I'm here uh, until further notice. Oh hell yeah! Okay, um, get the call. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see, we'll see, man. I, we we kind of you you were really high on Herbert last year, um, and you know it sounds like you're going back to the well again. But it sounds like you have pretty good reason to be going back to the well. Again, the, the Kellen Moore thing is, is going to be the big difference. Like, he's got a great receiving core. He's always had a great receiving core. That's going to be the difference if he's going to hit or even approach the numbers you're talking about. That's going to be it. So I, mean, you, I hope so. It's just one of the most fun things to, to root for. You, you know, saw that Dak here and how they were just heaving it all over the place. And that was a lesser receiving core and a lesser arm talent. If he, Kellen Moore, just comes in and, and puts that offense in place here, I don't know. I think it could be absolutely bananas here this year. Um, I'm hoping so. Like I said, I'm pulling for it. As a sixth, um, fifth, fifth round pick, I mean, you can't go wrong there. I think he has a huge. Oh, I, I think he's undervalued there. I really do. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk Daniel Jones. That's going to be our second. I love the headline options we've got below Daniel Jones. Uh, <laughs> this quarterback going after round 10 has top five upside. That's in capital letters. Also, could Daniel Jones be the next Josh Allen? Why Daniel Jones is the quarterback steal of 2023? All respectable headlines. Uh, obviously, we're talking about Daniel Jones here. We've talked about Daniel Jones together on multiple podcasts in the past. But sell me on this. These are these are some very, very snazzy headlines. These are attention getters. Sell me on Daniel Jones again. Let's do it. Despite being outside the top 10 rounds, I really do think he could be top five this year. And that's what we saw with Josh Allen's breakout. And why am I comparing these two? We're going to dive into that now. So last year, quarterback 10 for Daniel Jones on the season, and he was thrown to absolutely nobody. He only had 15 passing touchdowns last year and yet still was in the top 10. Why? A lot of that was the rushing upside over 700 yards, seven touchdowns on the ground was 
Konami upside, but now can that passing game then take it to the next level and have him just like we saw with Josh Allen, always getting it done with the legs, and then we saw a huge boom. Daniel Jones, even last year, we started to see the passing game click a bit more. After week seven on, when they finally seemed, let's have this be our guy, let's commit to him, he's the quarterback six, only Hurts, Mahomes, Fields, and Josh Allens were ahead of him as well as Burrow. So, Great names to be included in. 60% of those games were top 12. Seven of them were above 20. Three were above 30. So we've already starting to see that boom can win you a week type of ceiling with Daniel Jones last year. Again, throwing to nobody. Now, with only 15 touchdowns, I actually project those to nearly double next year. That may seem egregious, but you look at one. They add Darren Waller. Now, that's not Stephon Diggs. I know the Josh Allen comparison, but this is a legitimate bonafide number one receiving presence. If he is fully healthy, big if I get that, but we also now have a full season of Isaiah Hodgins. Why is that a big deal? His name's Isaiah Hodgins. Who the hell is that wolf? Well, he actually led the giants in receiving touchdowns last year, despite not joining the team until week 10, they had an incredible rapport in the red zone and a full season of those two working together, a big body for Isaiah Hodgins. That could be big for Daniel Jones, Darren Waller Hodgins for a full season already. I think nearly add eight to 10 touchdowns to that total. And again, Daniel Jones had nine of his 15 touchdowns after week 10, after the bye week. So halfway way there, you have about 22 touchdown pace right there. You add in Paris Campbell, Wandale Robinson's now in year two, Jalen Hyatt. I don't know which one of those guys wins the slot role, but either of them will be a souped up kind of Richie James who really was thriving down the stretch of the season. And Daniel Jones himself had 24 touchdowns in his rookie year. The only other season he had a semi-competent play caller uh, other than, of course, Brian Dayball this last year. And then you look at the Josh Allen comparison to bring it back to full circle here. In his first full year as a starter under Brian Dayball was the quarterback 14 in points per game. We had, again, Daniel Jones was quarterback 10. And Josh Allen had 460 attempts, 3,089 yards, 20 passing touchdowns. The next season as a starter under Brian Dable, quarterback three, goes from 461 attempts to 572, 3,000 yards to 4,546, and then 37 touchdowns, adding 17 to his total. So, yes, a historic, ridiculous leap there. I'm not projecting Daniel Jones to go quite so nuclear in such a drastic comparison between the two years. In fact, I have Daniel Jones going for 560 attempts, 380 completions, 4,222 yards, 27 passing touchdowns in addition to 660 on the ground, six touchdowns there, and seven interceptions. So about 75% of the jump that Josh Allen took to break out. I think that seems pretty similar because a lot of the same recipe, including, again, Brian Dable, the key here, is still in place. I think Daniel Jones is about 70% of the player when he's at his best as Josh Allen. And I think Darren Waller is about a 60% of an upgrade to Stefan Diggs. So all of those things seem to align to me. And, and yes, Saquon would be nice to have as a weapon, but honestly, if he holds out, I think that just means more work is going to be tossed onto Daniel Jones's plate. So I think all of these things align to a huge breakout season. He ends up landing as my quarterback eight based on those projections and just a couple points or so behind Justin Fields, Joe Burrow, but going five, six rounds after them. I love the price tag on Daniel Jones. Well, and, and the quite outlandish predictions that you have for him, the final projection stat line you've got, I want to remind you and everybody else that it, it's actually less than it was. I had to get you to calm down a little bit when we talked about uh, the, yeah. the Lions projections for the NFC East. I actually, these are the reeled in stats. 
these are the stats where I, I splashed cold water in his face and was like, okay, let's let's settle down here. Campanelli <laughs> says as a Giants fan, I'm not as high on Danny Dimes as the Wolf. Maybe 20 touchdowns max or 22 touchdowns max. We'll see. And it was more the yardage that was that was a little shocking to me. The touchdowns as well, but that was a lot. Also, before we go into the next one, the, the Wolf messaged me. He's like, he's like, those headline options you're reading are YouTube clips. I was aware of that, but I was enjoying reading them. You're welcome to still toss them out. It was getting me hyped. I was like, you know, ch- trying to like, I was picturing like uh, a, the newspapers and movies that spin into the screen with like the crazy headlines. And I was just like, <laughs> I was like man, I would read that article. Um, we're, moving into, we're moving into Nick Chubb territory now. We're, we're moving into running backs. And I'll just, I'm going to read them. The two headline options and tell me if this doesn't get your blood uh, pumped up. Just how high is Nick Chubb's fantasy ceiling in 2023? Well, let me answer you that with the next headline option. Could Nick Chubb finish as the RB1? That's the fantasy ceiling. One. That's a I really high think ceiling. it's true. I, mean, so, all the, I love Nick Chubb. Give him to me. Who doesn't? I mean, the way this poll that just came out of all the NFL execs and fellow players and whatnot, he was the number one running back on those lists. And so many stats justify why he is just a pure, absolute monster as a runner. But rather than focusing on just how damn good he is, I could throw a million yards after contact and everything that makes him a great runner. If you have eyeballs, you recognize Nick Chubb as a phenomenal, phenomenal back. Without Kareem Hunt, though, that's the big thing. What is the volume going to look like? Through his career, we've seen... Nick Chubb averaged 18.3 points per game compared to 15.8. He's been on pace for 303 attempts plus 50 targets, 1,659 rush yards, and 11 touchdowns in addition to around 250 receiving yards. At minimum, I do expect a big receiving and touchdown boost here given that Hunt is gone and the next man up is Jerome Ford. You know, 5'9", like 200 and so pounds. There's no reason they're going to be taking out Nick Chubb at the stripe like they used to for Kareem Hunt and so frustrating there's no way they're doing that with Jerome Ford. All the touchdowns, in my opinion, are going to go to Chubb. So I have him going for at least 13 to 15 touchdowns this season. I also think as a receiver, he's averaged nearly three targets per game compared to under two per game without Hunt. And he's a very capable receiver. We saw it last year with six targets, five catches, 45 yards, and a touchdown. He led the team there in targets in that last game of the season coming from Deshaun Watson. Last year was the running back six in PPR leagues as well. Oh, he can't do it as a pass catcher. Well, even if that role doesn't go up, which it wasn't much there last year, he still was the running back six. So plenty of upside there and that higher uh, touchdown equity, as I mentioned, but uh, they also added, and this one's the real just gross stuff that I just dig into for whatever reason, new running back coach Stump Mitchell. He's been a huge breakout guy for so many running backs. He preaches a ton of the little footwork things, and they said, you probably don't have a lot because he's got this reputation of the league of being like a nitpicky coach that really squeezes the most out of their talent. And he was interviewed. You probably don't have a lot to, to nitpick about Nick Chubb, right? One of the best runners in the league. He's like, oh, no. This guy has so much more he can do and so much better things he can be than what he's done so far. I want him averaging six yards a carry. I want him leading the league in rushing because of how much he left. We watched tape together, how many yards he left on the field. So I don't know what he's seeing that I'm not. But apparently there's a ton more yards on the field that Nick Chubb is leaving, according to Stump Mitchell. And he's all bought in. Both of them together have made a goal of leading the league in carries or leading the league in rushing yards, despite not being up there in carries because they want to hit six yards a pop here. So who knows? I know that's just coach speak and that shouldn't factor in much, but if there's a coach that can squeeze even more out of Nick Chubb, then damn, I like it. The one risk here is he had some very concerning splits. Once Watson came over, it looked like a, a slow clunky, almost everybody in the offense 
was worse with Watson than better. But I do think that's got to be worked out this offseason. They they gave so much money and so much capital to go get Watson. And all the reports are it's looked significantly more in tune and in sync and faster paced and, and better. Just everything's been better this offseason. But he did average 19 games, 19 points a game without uh, Deshaun Watson versus 12 with him. So that was a concern. And so we are having to project that this will just be a much more in sync and better offense. I do think that's going to be the case. I do like Watson throughout his career. I think you know, a couple years out of the game, it really did take a toll on him, but it sounds like everything is back in place. So that leads me to project Chubb for 297 rushes, 1485 yards, 13 touchdowns in addition to 319 yards and a touchdown on the air with 38 catches there. And that has him as my RB three. And honestly, this seems like a pretty like steady, stable, not a crazy Daniel Jones style stealing projection. This is like a, a, this might be like the floor for Nick Chubb, in my opinion. Where's Chubb going in snake drafts right now? He goes in underdog where it's more wide receiver heavy. He goes like, mid round two to a little bit early round two. Sometimes he's starting to bop up now that Saquon's going to start falling and things of that nature, but he usually falls to round two at minimum and redraft like regular redraft leaves. He's typically like a, a late first rounder. Do you, yeah, I was going to say round two seems low. So it is I don't low. Know. okay. Interesting. All right. We're going to get on to Jameer Gibbs. This is the first guy. I mean, these rookies, these guys that come in that, that I, I just don't know much about. This is when I'm just kind of going to, ch- try to soak up what you've got to say. I'm not even going to bother reading the headline options because I, I don't know enough about the guy to, to get as fired up. So you got to sell me on this guy. I mean, you're asking, could he outscore Bijan Robinson? Who's another guy I don't know a ton about, but who I'm seeing a lot of people take as a first rounder. And also like, what's his ceiling? Obviously not Nick Chubb ceiling, right? I mean, not RB one, but what do you think his ceiling is? Talk to me about Jameer Gibbs. I It's crazy. I knew I liked Jameer Gibbs, the player. I thought he was a huge talent coming in this league, but I didn't realize I was going to love him as much as I did in fantasy. That's why we call it projections that pop. I looked after projecting it all out, came out as the PPR running back six and half PPR running back 11 in my rankings. I, I was stunned. And I looked and tried to figure out how did this happen? Cause I didn't even think I was projecting him all that crazy. Collectively last year, Detroit's running backs ranked second among all teams in expected fantasy points per game, 28.3 as a backfield. That's in no small part due to the fact that they rushed for 2,000 yards and 23 touchdowns on the ground with Jamal Williams leading the way with 17 of those leading the entire NFL. I still have Montgomery scoring 14 touchdowns on the ground with Gibbs only getting four rushing touchdowns. And yet he's still, like I said, running back six, running back 11. So again, how? And it comes down to that receiving role. And I already loved him as a receiver, but lately we've gotten some quotes that just have me juicing it up. He didn't, the GM saying, we didn't acquire a running back in the first round. We acquired an elite offensive weapon that will keep everything explosive. He's special like Marshall Falk and Christian McCaffrey. He's a guy that can just go into the slot and threat challenge your defense in so many different ways. Marshall Falk, Christian McCaffrey, pretty two damn good talents. And if you've seen the clips of after they drafted him, they were banging the table, flipping the table. It looked like they just won the lottery when they had landed Jameer Gibbs. They clearly didn't have a dire need at running back, and they still took him at 12. That tells you everything you need to know about how much they love the player, and then you get those type of comparisons. Whew. Swift had 46, 62, and 48 receptions over his three years. Not bad. Solid role right there. Tim Twentyman, and I like Swift, very solid receiver, probably a top 10 receiving back in the NFL. Tim Twentyman came out and said, this is easily, based on the spring work I saw, the best receiving back I've seen 
in a Lions uniform in 15 years of covering this team. So also pretty damn high praise. And then you mix in the fact that Dan Campbell got his coaching roots in New Orleans there, was right there when they drafted Alvin Kamara, who consistently topped 100-plus targets there. So I ended up lobbying 98 targets to Jameer Gibbs, 16% target share, which might seem lofty, but then you look at, they got Amon Rossi Brown, and, and they do have Jamison Williams, but he's out the first six weeks of the season. And other than them, Josh Reynolds and Marvin Jones, and maybe the Sam Laporta, exciting rookie tight end, but I really could see Jameer Gibbs being that number two target earner based on the way they're talking about him, based on the way they want to line him up. And then you just mix in that upside. If something ever did happen to Montgomery, he is a very capable runner. He's strong. He's powerful. We saw it all at Alabama. I love this kid. So I project him for 191 carries, 936 yards on the ground with just four touchdowns. But the big thing being 74 catches on 98 targets. 607 yards and five touchdowns through the air, making him, again, my running back six in PPR and my running back 11 in half. All right, you piqued my interest. I'm definitely, you know, gave me a lot to think about there. Uh, best receiving running back in a Lions uniform in 15 years. That That's not nothing. Also, great name, Tim, Tim Twentyman. Yeah, awesome beat writer name, Tim Twentyman. Love, I love, love that. Love that for him. <laughs> All right, last running back we're going to get into, Miles Sanders. This is a guy that's kind of jerked us around in fantasy from time to time, from being absolutely terrible to then confirming he was going to be terrible again to then not being terrible to then getting traded to the Panthers. Um, all right, so the headline options for Miles Sanders, these are fun because could Miles Sanders be better with the Panthers in 2023 fantasy? I would Assume no, but I'm gonna I'm gonna hope that you can convince me of that if that's the angle you're going for. Um, which free agent running back is a top twelve in the Wolves projections? I don't know. Could it be Miles Sanders? You think Miles could be. Is be a top twelve guy? I that's how it came out, and this is coming from somebody. There's projections that pop. I'm not really a diehard Miles Sanders guy. I never no, really never loved him in fantasy. He's never been one to be on my teams, and yet I just looked at the work that he's expected to get this year. And he ended up coming out really strongly. 2019, they talked about it earlier when we were doing undervalued, overvalued on Travis Etienne. That was the year that we saw Miles Sanders have 50 catches. He hasn't topped 28 since then, but he showed he could. 50, 509 receiving yards and three touchdowns on 63 targets. And back then, Deuce Daly was his coach. That was the guy that recruited him to come over to Carolina. He is now the assistant offensive court, the assistant head coach, really, over there. So this is a guy that went out, got the talent he's used the right way in the past, and now wants to use him again. And Sanders himself said, I'm looking forward to getting back in that three-down type back roll, just flow with it and see what happens. So he's pumped. That's kind of what was promised to him. And you look at who they have behind him, Chuba Hubbard. There's no reason why he can't be a true Three down back. Frank Reich has typically featured a healthy ground pry. He's been top 10 in rush attempts in five of his seven years calling plays. He's never had a team below 443 team attempts as, as a rushing. So I kept that right in place. 443 attempts. I gave 58% of that to Miles Sanders because you only had Chuba Hubbard with no more Donta Foreman, a somewhat mobile quarterback, but not one that likes to run in Bryce Young, the rookie. They're not going to want this kid going all over the place. He's small. They don't want their franchise quarterback to be getting drilled. So I really think 58 60% of the work that equated to 257 carries for Miles Sanders, who I said I'm not a Miles Sanders guy, but he has always been very, very efficient in his work and yards after contact. And so you also got to follow that money. They gave him the most money of all the free agent running backs this year, including 13 million guaranteed. He's towards the top 10 of the league in yard uh, in money going to the running back position, which as we know right now is not one that typically gets paid. And so what if you get that combination of the, the boosted receiving role 
about 40 to 50 catches. I have him going for 53 myself, 53 catches, 440 yards and a touchdown. But then he also maintains some solid work on the ground. I have him going for 257, 1156 and eight touchdowns on the ground. I do have his touchdowns going down. He had 11 last year. I think there's no way he sees as many red zone touches given the downgrade of team quality, 49 attempts last year in the red zone. That was the fourth most. So I definitely don't see him hitting 11 touchdowns again, but seven, eight, in addition to a spiked receiving role, all those things, despite not being a, a Miles Sanders guy, typically, it has him coming out in my top 12 running backs, shockingly. I just think it's so interesting. I, I love when you do your project, uh, projections because you put in what, what, what feels right to you. You use, uh, obviously, a lot of it is gut, but a, a, the vast majority of it is, is data that you're then uh, you know, putting into the machine. And then what comes out, comes out. And then you have someone like Amal Sanders, who I don't know what your instinct would have been going into the year where you would have put him, but I'm sure it wouldn't have been 12. I and think it was like 22, numbers, like running back 22. I was going to say, if I were guessing for you, I'd have said 20. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, comes out as 12 and you're like, that's what, the, I guess that's what the numbers say. Um, I, I said, I, I noticed that. I forget who we're talking about. But at some point we were talking about receivers earlier in the year. And I was, I was like, you know, you got this guy ranked fifth, but he's got the, second or the first best numbers of anybody um yeah it just comes out weird sometimes and then so then you change your rankings boards accordingly or you don't but i, right. I love the process we were yeah, talking exactly. about like this I, and, and that's a really good point truth is like my rankings i don't make them 100 in line with my projections no, you, like, you know you got to have some of the gut and the, the ranking does factor in some of my gut where like, i'm not a diehard Miles sanders guy but these projections are really popping so he goes from running back 22 to now running back 16, maybe right. above even Aaron Jones. And in round five, where I might have been targeting Aaron Jones and Damian Pierce, maybe I now sneak Miles Sanders into there a bit more and start bumping up his shares because clearly there's something I like about at least his role. And I don't hate the player. It's not a guy I'm like, oh, I can't touch Miles Sanders. He's awful. But it just it is. That's why I like the process of ranking first, projecting, then going back to the rankings and kind of adjusting, but not not you know set in stone. It's not Bible, you know what I mean? But yeah, no, no you, you you can't just go by the projection projections, but you can't ignore them either. Like, no, it, it's a thing, and so exactly. yeah, I, agree, I agree with that process. You can't you can't have the guy that you've got finishing twelfth in projections as your twenty two guy. You, you no. can't. You got to take that into consideration. Sometimes the numbers don't lie. Sometimes they do, I guess. We were talking about this guy before the show, and I was talking about I, I saw a mock draft somewhere, and, and this guy had Jamar Chase going fifth, sixth, something like that. We've taken him. We've seen him go first before. But he had Cooper Cup solid in as number two and even said as number one. His, his top three were Jefferson, Cup, CMC. He said you could take him in just about any order, but he really, really, really liked Cup. And, you know, the headlines for Cup, even if I weren't looking at it, I already have. They're, they're obvious. It's like basically just don't forget how good this guy is. We saw him, you know, forget last year. Actually, don't forget last year because no. he was awesome last year. Like, he wasn't he like the best? He was, year? yes. He was first in points per game last year and right. the year before. <laughs> right. And so, I mean, the year before, I mean, he had the triple crown season, like, yeah, maybe like the best season uh, receivers ever had. He not only did it, all season long, as a, as a cup owner, I can tell you that that was thrilling. But then, I mean, also he had the chops where it's just like, oh, you, you need me in the Super Bowl? Okay, just throw me the ball every single time. And he yeah. wins the Super Bowl and he wins the Super Bowl MVP. So that was two years ago, which seems like a really long time ago, but it's not. Then last year, uh, at some point he got injured. At the time he got injured, he was the best. 
So now we're coming back in and it's like, it seems like some people have forgotten about Cooper Cup, but now it seems like there's a resurgence back going the other way where everyone's like, oh, right, he's awesome. Now we're seeing him as the two, the one, the three. So sell me on Cooper Cup, even though you really don't have to. Yeah, I mean, if you need to be sold on Cooper Cup, then you shouldn't be playing fantasy football. The wide receiver one, as we said, in back-to-back years in points per game, 25.9, 22.6. The only thing really slowing him down would be injury because even injury to his quarterback last year, maybe it capped his record-breaking ceiling, but he still was the best receiver in fantasy for as long as he was out there. So is he going to be an injury-prone guy? Well, he played 48 of 49 games for three seasons prior to last year. It was just a fluke thing. It happened. I'm not worried about injuries at this point of his career. Even though he's a little older than some of these exciting young Buckton, Jefferson, and Chase, who we might not have seen the ceiling of either yet. If they get to cup ceiling, then I'm happy. So I'm going to start. I, I have him actually at two overall now at Cooper Cup behind only Justin Jefferson in these underdog drafts. I am a diehard fan of him. Allen Robinson's gone. I know that's like, uh, whatever, who gives a shit about him? But that was the second target gainer there last year. So potentially even more volume coming from him. Wasn't he really? Yeah, uh, on the team last year. I think Higby might have ultimately finished with that more targets by the end. Oh, but yeah. He was awful. Oh, he was so bad. Uh, an absolute bust. One of the worst in the league. But could there be even more passing game volume? Maybe, maybe not. We know McVay runs the show, but they do bring in new offensive coordinator, Mike LaFleur. And this should not be discounted. He was the Jets offensive coordinator the last couple of years. And most of you will probably laugh at that and say, why is that a positive? The Jets offensive coordinator? Well, when Zach Wilson was out, they led the league in passing yards per game in 2021 and 2022 with Flacco and Mike White throwing the ball. They actually had more yards per game passing than the Chiefs, than the Chargers, than the Bengals even. They actually led the NFL in pass attempts per game with 46.5. If you project that out for over 17 games, that's 790 pass attempts. That would be an NFL record by miles if that ended up happening. So even if LaFleur just sprinkles in a little bit more pass-happy tendencies here, then that's all good news for everyone, including Cooper Cup, who, which this might be the most crazy stat of all with him, over the last two seasons, he has been a top 12 wide receiver 81% of the time. That is ridiculous. There's no other receiver that's been top 12 even 50% of the time, and he has been 81% of the time. Well, the Graham Barfield uh, thing, you know, he's going top 10, uh, the Graham Barfield tweet that, that you've got in here, and he's going top 10, not top 12. He's going over the last two years as well. He's 65% there going top 10. But the the thing that's that's startling about it isn't the 65%, which is incredible. It's that the next highest guy is 44%. It's nuts. He's 50% better than the next guy. Like he's like, he's half, the the next guy would have to add half of his thing uh, to itself to get where Cup is. That's such a just monstrous difference between him and the next guy. That's incredible. It's like when we talk about, the, the Kelsey edge at, at tight end. Like, are we looking at a similar thing here? Kind I, mean, of, I know receiver is way deeper, but, but that's a massive gap. It is deeper, but when you start three every single week, so you got 36 receivers at minute, it depends on your scoring setting, but three or two in a flex, uh, that's a lot of receivers that have to be out there every single week. So to have a guy that you can just put in there and be like, he's going to be top 12, no matter what. He actually hasn't even been below his lowest point total across his last uh, it looks like here, 20 games 
No, more than that. 30, more than 30 that. games is 11.4. And yet yeah, 11.4, that's not what you want from your wide receiver one, but that's his lowest in addition to 36.8, 37.6, 34, 31.3, 34.7, 31.8, 33.8, and 26, 26, 26. Like, it's ridiculous how damn good and steady this guy is. The only game that he's been outside of double digits was when he got hurt against Arizona in like the third play of the game. So this guy is an absolute monster. I'm projecting him as such. Really, it's one of those things where the only thing that can go wrong is injury to him, to his quarterback, to an extent. But even if Stafford got hurt, we saw it last year. He was not playing at 100%. And, and Cup still was leading the NFL in points per game for wide receivers. The, the role is just such a layup in terms of the easiest targets in the game. Great red zone threat. He is so good off the line of scrimmage and contested catches. So I'm going for a 402 fantasy points in PPR leagues, 30 more than the next closest receiver, 140 catches, 1,820 yards, and 13 touchdowns for Cooper Cup. And now he's at number two overall for me. Behind Justin Jefferson, just because – I could see Jefferson becoming this type of weapon. That's where Kevin O'Connell came from. And he might just use a, a more athletic guy in a, a Cooper cup style role. But honestly, if you told me that cups playing 16, 17 games this year, I would take him over Jefferson. And I wouldn't even think twice. Yeah. you know, I've, I've come around so much, not just from what you've been saying, but just kind of the vibe that's out there. And I've been reading a lot more stuff as, as the season is getting closer, even though we're still, no, it's not exactly just around the corner, but of course I'm starting to plunge into the articles and stuff. And I remember last year I, I got I got some good, you know, I, I got I was well received last year when I said on a couple of podcasts, everybody's looking for the next Cooper Cup. And I said, you know who this year's Cooper Cup's gonna be? Cooper Cup. And yeah. it was until he got hurt. And I'm just thinking, like, why is the same thing not gonna be true again? It's like exactly yeah, this year's Cooper Cup's probably going to be surprise, surprise Cooper Cup again. So I agree with your projections. I'm keeping my fingers crossed he doesn't get hurt, and you know his stock's going up with me every day. I got to say, um, he was so fun to pull for the last two years. I hope we get to see it again. Number seven, still diving into receivers. Hollywood Brown. Will Marquise Brown be a target hog in 2023 fantasy? We've seen some good stuff out of him. Recently, uh, I, the, the year that I had him and I loved him, he sucked. It was that one year that he was just bad. And, of course, I was lucky enough to have a piece of him that year. But I, I'm not I'm not hardened towards him that I, like I am towards some people like Kyle Pitts who have screwed me before. I still am interested in Hollywood if he's there for the right price. You got him as a wide receiver going outside the top 30, but has wide receiver one upside. I'm intrigued. Sell me on Yeah, let's talk about it. Without Hopkins last year, he was a bona fide wide receiver one, averaging 10.7 targets per game, wide receiver five in volume, and 18.3 points per game, wide receiver in points, wide receiver seven in fantasy points. Solid stuff. 11, 17, 11, 10, nine targets in those games without DeAndre Hopkins and three of those games finishing with over 20 fantasy points as a bona fide top 12 wide receiver in that span. He was on pace for eight, like I said, 18.3 points per game. If you go out with his season averages in that, it would be 1,374 yards on 122 catches and eight touchdowns. All of those are top 12 numbers, no matter what. And I don't think they were that absurd. Like it was just a small sample size or anything like that. Marquise Brown and Kyler Murray are ex-college teammates. They're best friends off the field. They have great chemistry on and off it. I love this. He commanded a 20. I, I have him just kind of building right off of that. Now, Kyler might be hurt in the beginning, but honestly, 
passing game people did just fine with Colt McCoy holding over the fort. So it does come down to what is this offense going to look like? A new scheme, new system that's probably going to be a bit run heavier given the Eagles' tendencies. They're not being brought here. But I still think Marquise Brown is going to be far and away the number one guys. I don't believe in Rondell Moore. I'm not a Rondell Moore guy. Never have been. I like Greg Dortch, but that's Greg Dortch we're talking about here. Michael Wilson, you know, the guy they brought in as a rookie, may be intriguing. I think this is going to be one of those rare situations. You have a, a fringe round five, round six guy that can just come in and see 160 targets and go bananas. I don't have him going quite that high, but I do have a 26% target share, meaning 149 targets at that point. He did have 144 on the run heavy Raven. So it's not impossible that Marquise Brown can shoulder a passing game. You know, I think he turns those 149 targets into 91 catches uh, 1,046 yards and seven touchdowns, which makes him the wide receiver 20 in PPR and half. He's going outside the top 30 receivers right now, making him an absolute steal, in my opinion. All right, let's move on to our final receiver, Adam Thielen. And <laughs> you've got some good headlines, but I've got a better one. And it's also it's also not just a headline. I want I want you to answer this headline. Yes. And my headline for this would be, is it possible for someone now that this could be, this could be a, a, a woman or a man you're interested in. This could be like a, a meal. This could be, this could be a fantasy football player. <laughs> Is it possible for someone to be so, so unsexy that they're sexy? Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be Adam Thielen folks. <laughs> oh, he's so unsexy. Oh, so no. Unsexy. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's why you go so late is because nobody's – it's what we say it all the time. No one's going to hoot and holler when you take Adam Thielen. Oh, man, I was so excited to take Adam Thielen. Damn it. You really – because that's what we live for. Half of why we do fantasy is to make that pick that everyone in the room is like, no, you took my sexy sleeper of the year. That's never going to be Adam Thielen. He's not getting the reactions for you. He's not – no one's going nuts because you took Adam Thielen off the board. But they should be. I really think you could well, have that's a what fantasy. I'm He's – Go ahead. <laughs> and that's, and you know what? That's what I'm starting to live for is those guys that everyone should have hooted all for. In fact, they might make fun of you for taking Adam Thielen. Oh, good one. Wolf. Nice job. Adam Thielen. What was that seven years ago? But then at the end of the year, you could say, Hey, 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 let's look back and see what this guy did. And I really think Adam Thielen could do some sexy things this year in Carolina. Last year wasn't great. I'll be the first to admit that wide receiver 31, though. Like, honestly, that's not even that bad. It wasn't a great year, but six touchdowns, not great. 69 catches, not great. Still a, a top you know, 36 receiver, a wide receiver three, wide receiver 45 in points per game. I, I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it. It wasn't a great year, especially if you paid around seven or eight price for him last year. But the good thing is you don't have to pay that this year. He's going around 140, and I think he could bounce back in a big way. Maybe he's cooked and, and he is done. That could be it. But maybe it was just the rise of Alpha Justin Jefferson, who we're all de declaring is the clear-cut number one receiver in the league and in fantasy. Maybe that impacted Adam Thielen a little bit. That's the side I am leaning on, at least with my projections right now. There's lots of talk from Thielen coming out and saying, I can't wait to prove my doubters wrong. I can't wait to prove I still have it, that he's loving the fresh start, that he can really grow and, and help this rookie quarterback. 
And it's an exciting quarterback in Bryce Young, one of the more exciting young passers to come in the league in the last couple of years, in my opinion. And all the reports are he's leaning on Adam Thielen in early practices as this dependable, you know, he's got a 70% or better catch rate in two of his last three years. He's never been below 65% catch rate. That's who the rookies end up looking for. And oftentimes rookies will just lock in on those guys. They know they're not going to get dropped and they just want to go to the guy that's getting the layup, easy targets for him. I could see that being the role for Adam Thielen, who's been an elite touchdown scorer throughout his career. You look at his last four seasons, 16%, 19%, 15%, and 9% of his catches have gone for touchdowns, and he's been top 10 in receiving touchdowns in three of his last five seasons. And beat writers have talked about how in camp it was very clear, not camp, OTAs rather, that he's been that layup touchdown type of guy. They really, really worked in the red zone, um, getting off the line, using that body. It sounds like Bryce Young was just looking for him early and often, and that's just in. It's one thing for BTBC in spring practice and they're in shorts. It's another thing that Adam Thielen's just done that his entire career. So I really, really like that. I don't know that he'll be a true, true target hog. I'm going for 21% share and leading the team in that. That beats 128 targets. But with a guy that catches the ball as well as he does, with a guy that gets as open as he does in the red zone, I think that could end up being 128 targets, 87 catches, 974-ish yards, and eight touchdowns. That's good for wide receiver 23 in PPR and wide receiver 26 and a half. Maybe I'm crazy. I know it's unsexy, but he doesn't even have to come close to those numbers and he'd still be a good value at 140. And honestly, I don't see it. Is it DJ Chark? Is it Mingo? Is there's nobody truly valuable at all here? Maybe. I really think Thielen's just going to be that really trusted security blanket for this rookie quarterback and end up putting up some really solid stats because of it. So, my. My instinct on this would be not that these other guys would surpass him. I think that the odds, it's going to be either what you're saying, whereas he he becomes a security blanket, puts up totally solid numbers, does his thing, is, you know, surprisingly sexy when you didn't see it coming, or like none of these guys are really going to produce. I think, I I think that that's, I don't see that. I don't see the other guys like alpha dogging. So I agree with you that I could see none of them doing anything, but I could also see him doing what you're saying. I I think it's a compelling case. Also, I think that it's, we should probably have a shirt in the RSJ store that says I'm so unsexy or so unsexy that I'm sexy. Yeah. It could either be referring to the person wearing the shirt or it could have like an Adam Thielen or a Robert Woods or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Robert Woods. Yeah. Just spitballing here. I mean, uh, you know what is sexy though? Three years, $25 million. That's a pretty healthy contract right there for a guy that's not expected to do anything in fantasy. DJ Chark, who everybody seems a little bit more enamored with because he's younger, because he's more athletic. He only got one year and $5 million from the team. So they clearly tell you who they at least project to be their number one guy. He only lasted a week in free agency as soon as he got released from the, the um, Vikings. And Frank Reich said, I've always wanted to work with this guy. So I, I'm very excited about him. I mean, he has the pedigree. He has, certainly has the pedigree, much more so than a DJ Chark or anything like that. The question is, is he falling off a cliff? Um, yeah. He's not a young guy, and we'll see. Because if he's anything like the guy he's been over the course of his career, that's a great deal. By all accounts, he's a great guy to have around and all that stuff. You know, he's not going to bring drama into the line no. or anything yeah. like that. So I'm pulling for him. I've always been a fan, and, you know, it's possible that he is so unsexy that he becomes sexy. You're going to find out, and I might be taking a stab at him in some of the late rounds, as I can tell you are, too. Let's move on to tight ends. This is a guy who looks like every tight end that there is. You look up tight end in the dictionary, and you see the little face 
next to the fantasy pictures. This guy, Tyler Higby, all those dudes look the same. They all got, they're all big white guys with long hair and beards. This guy fits the mold perfectly. And the headlines for George Kittle, could he finish as the number two tight end in 2023 fantasy? I would say yes. And why is he a steal in round five or six? I have a, a round five, six turn. Is that where he's generally going in a snake draft? Yes. All right. Sell me on George Kittle because I've always been a fan. At his best, he's so fun to watch. I mean, it's crazy that I didn't even have to sell people on George Kittle considering he's been the tight end three, two, three, three, two the past five <laughs> years. I mean, he's he's already – it sounds like a crazy headline. Can George Kittle be the number two tight end? Well, yes, because that's typically what he is. That's exactly. Why wouldn't he be? But I do think there's upside to be like – honestly closer to Travis Kelsey tier than the next tier below him, given how damn good he was with Brock Purdy last year. There's only five regular season games with Brock Purdy versus 10 without uh, Brock Purdy at starter. In those five games with Purdy, he averaged 18.66 points per game. That would have been more than Travis Kelsey last year, which is nuts. And that includes a game, his first start with Brock Purdy, he only put up 6.8 points because they were destroying the Bucs. They didn't even have to throw it. After that, with Brock Purdy, he went 25 points, 30 points, 12.3, and 18.9. So it wasn't just like, oh, he had one 40-point day, and that's really buoying the stats. No, not at all. He had 80% of his games as top 12. And honestly, the only reason the first one wasn't was probably because they just were kicking their ass so bad they didn't have to throw it anymore. So two of his highest-scoring weeks, actually the two highest-scoring weeks, came with Brock Purdy. At, and then in the playoffs, five catches, 95 yards against the the, the Cowboys. It didn't, wasn't like it just stopped at that point. So I think this could definitely be a huge season for him. He was on pace in those games with Brock Purdy I'm referencing. He would be on pace for 75 catches, 996 yards, and 24 touchdowns on 109 targets. Now, I know he's not going to score 24 touchdowns, but even just getting to oh. 11 touchdowns, which is what I have him going for, is humongous for the position. I have him going for 998 yards, 78 catches, and 11 touchdowns, and that ended up having him finish as the number two tight end in both half and full PPR. And why would that be so bold? Well, again, like I said, the fact that he's been a top three tight end in all of the past five years, it shouldn't be that bold, but he's going 25 picks after Mark Andrews. He's going about 10 to 15 picks after TJ Hawkinson. At this point, give me the guy with the track record that has easily the ceiling as long as Brock Purdy's playing to approach Kelsey, never mind the other guys. Uh, And that's going three rounds later than some of them. So, yeah, to me, Kittle's a no-brainer at this point. I am starting to hammer him at that 5-6 turn. Uh, agree. Steal at the five, six turn. Yeah. Absolutely the agree with the you only on. downside is like if Trey Lance comes in and blows the door off and, and training camp and, and starts lighting it up. And if he's doing that, then that's probably not even a bad thing that, that he's doing so well and takes over. I really do. This is kind of dependent on Brock Purdy being the quarterback, though. He has been horrible, George Kittle, with Trey, uh, Trey Lance and only a couple starts. It's not like Trey Lance has gotten extensive work. So I don't put too much stock into that. But I do put stock in the fact that Brock Purdy loved this guy and in particular loved him in the red zone and loved throwing deep down the seams. I know very well because he eliminated from a fantasy playoff game because uh, he just is a Thursday night game against the Seahawks. and He just smashed them. I had Ayuk. He had Kittle, and it was Ayuk. That was the one game I just didn't show up all year, and Kittle had like thirty. It's like, oh, great, this is fun. Trey Lance isn't going to come and blow the door no. off. You know, no, and that, and that's another point too. I think we talked about some on the projection show. Like a lot of the rumblings, everyone kind of looks at like Purdy as this low ceiling, can't really elevate a passing game. He's just kind of dinking oh. and dunking and getting it done. A lot of the talk so far from beat writers is like this offense is starting to open up even more because Kyle Shanahan has his guy and he loves Brock Purdy. And there's a ceiling that this offense might not have reached yet 
with Brock Purdy too. So, I mean, I don't think this is just like a, a ho-hum, dink and dunk thing, and especially certainly even if it is, it worked out for George Kittle last year. So if this offense takes another step forward, I mean, I, I'm all in back on the Kittle train. No, no doubt about it. I am too. And I, I think Purdy's good. And I don't see, I don't see Lance as a threat to this unless Purdy gets hurt, something like that. Yeah. All right. Let's finish up. When That's I said that, when I said that Kittle what looked like to end things, huh? <laughs> I, I said when I said Kittle looked like every tight end, I brought Higby. I didn't even know Higby was the next guy, but here he is. <laughs> um, we did, and here's and the wolf starts off with the headline, and this is there's only one. I did not expect this tight end to be in my top eight fantasy projections. <laughs> I remember when we did the tight end show. I think you did the top twelve, top fifteen. And, and, 15 was it really 15 mm-hmm. and and, I, and you asked me at the end you said is there any any guy that you're thinking should maybe be on here and i said well one guy higby mm-hmm. and then and then you were like oh yeah you know he you know we talked about him a little bit i, I guess he's weaseling his way up huh he sure has <laughs> came out top eight in my projections he's now in my top 12 rankings wise as well after seeing this because none of it seemed that insane we talked about with cooper cup but there could be just a slight passing game volume bump with stafford back michael lafleur now here as we, we referenced before 46.5 pass attempts per game in any starts according to the jets of course michael lafleur uh 46.5 pass attempts in any games without zach wilson uh also more passing yards 292 led the NFL in games without Zach Wilson as well, more than Pat Mahomes, more than Justin Herbert, more than Joe Burrow. It's nuts with Mike White and Joe Flacco. So if he has even a slight influence over Sean McVay here, uh, Mike LaFleur, that's going to mean more passing and and more explosive passing as well. And now who's that pie going to go to? We, of course, know Cooper Cup. I have him going for 30% of the targets. That's no surprise there. But Van Jefferson, still kind of an unknown, more of a deep threat. The running backs don't usually catch a lot of passes in this McVay offense since Todd Gurley's been gone. They've been the lowest in the league over those last five years in running back targets. So enter Higby. He's got plenty of spike week upside. He had a 30-point day last year with Baker Mayfield throwing to him nonetheless. He was top 12 in 41% of his games the past two seasons. Not too shabby there. He had 105 targets and 71 receptions last year. Both were career highs. The big thing is he's never scored more than five touchdowns, which – I don't get why he's six. I wouldn't have thought that was true. I think that's where he would do his damage, but that's honestly could screen positive regression that Doc was talking about earlier here. And then you look at the fact that I know we were talking about this one, that 2019 where all the injuries around him, where Robert Woods got hurt and he suddenly Cooper cup got hurt. And suddenly you got the the alpha in the offense, Tyler Higby, just the fact that he could do this. I know this is three years ago, but the fact that he went 23, 18, 23, 19 and 22 points was the tight end one averaging 24 points per game. Uh, all to close it out. He won me titles that year. So maybe it's just me clinging to that of the past. But we've seen, again, some of those spike weeks then. Uh, it was insane. He was more than Travis Kelsey that year, 21.4 points per game, closing out the season. That's more than Travis Kelsey's ever averaged in his career. So Higby has that within him. And we know Sean McVay has squeezed it out of him at times in the past. And now there's really no one else besides Cooper Cup that I think is going to be getting thrown to. So with all a few other mouths, I have KB getting 17% share, 117, uh, 107 targets. And then he turns that into 77 catches, 732 yards, and five touchdowns. And you made those touchdowns, touchdowns on this sheet. You want yeah, I bumped it down to five, and he stayed as a top eight tight end just because he's never been over five. So I'm like, I can't, I can't yeah. force seven. If you give him the seven, he goes even above Dalton Schultz and becomes a top seven tight end for me, though. So I, I love it. And he goes, he goes to the tight end 16. He goes at pick 140, 150. 
It's similar to the, the Thielen argument, just unsexy, but you look at it and I don't know. Did any of that not make sense? Like I, no, I, 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 I was sold on, I was sold on this one before you made the case, like it saying, you know, he's a, a top 12 tight end. Sure. Like a, a court, he's certainly one of the top eight to 10 guys I would take. So yeah. yeah, I absolutely see that. And I mean, part of me, you know, obviously cup is like a vacuum cleaner with targets and catches and stuff like that. Uh, th- that's going to take away from anyone's production kind of, but I mean, I also think that having a weapon like that on your team, that it's going to draw double teams, maybe even triple teams, who knows what has, has he's going to be open, dude. Like I, I think that Higby is a, a great call. And if you're waiting on a tight end, he's a great option. I absolutely agree. Hell yeah. Let's go. <laughs> I love that. I got to actually uh, stick with you for the whole show this time. We got a few guys that have left comments. We've had uh, a few people watching at the very least throughout. So uh, let's hit the mailbag real quick. Daniel says, how's it going? You guys doing a 2023 investing guide? If so, do you have a release date? He said, I used it to get me second. I'm assuming it means last season. If it wasn't for Hertz injury, it would have won me the league. Uh, the hey. Wolf addressed this earlier. And basically, uh, I can sum up for you. He's going to try. I'm going to do my damn best, Daniel. I do have my projections. At minimum, I will release like a – a cheat sheet, like kind of what I put at the end of the guide where it would be a round one. Who am I targeting? Who am I fading? I will 100% get that out to you guys. And if that's all I can get, I'll, I'll probably give it to you guys for free. Uh, you know, just to make sure you have something. Honestly, I'm shocked. Cause like last year was by far my worst year of predictions. Our guide was a, a well done and created. Well, yeah. we had you know, yeah. Alan Robinson, Gabe Davis, like, Fade Josh Jacobs were a couple don't of my even, takes. And, and we had some good ones. Jalen Hurts was a, a big, you know, he's going to be the next QB1 type of situation. But it was not my best work. So the fact that you still got second, like if I can give you a good guide, then there's no way you're going to lose next year, Daniel. Um, but you're also, like, Daniel's like, that's, that's also one of the, the points that's like, the draft is so important, but Daniel's one of those guys that comes every week. He comes to the waiver shows. He comes to your and mine Thursday shows. He comes to the, the sit starts on Sundays. And it, there's just so much more than the draft. And, and it, to be able to swing and miss on the draft with some of the bad takes I had, and I still came in second in my league, like there's just so much more to fancy football than the draft too. And, and you put in the work, Daniel. It's The draft guy did help you, but I don't want you to like say like that, that got you to second because you put in the time, you put in the work. Uh, and you came to a lot of our shows too, which is, you know, I mean, it's, it's big. I mean, I made the, I made the playoffs using what turned out to be a lot of faulty information. I mean, <laughs> you know, like I, I spent a lot on Alan Robinson, like, yeah, you know, too. he absolutely destroyed me, but I also, I also, you know, got Jalen hurts for six bucks or yeah. eight bucks or something in my auction. So, you know, there was plenty of good to go with the bad. And believe me, Wolf, even though it was maybe one of your worst uh, draft prediction years, I guarantee you if there was an investing guide and no pressure to do it, you got other stuff going on. There's plenty of people that would snap it up because oh, yeah. you actually do, you do have a pretty good uh, following and, and a, a pretty good track record at this point, even if you whiff on a few. I appreciate it. All right, let's go. Omar F. We should have a segment called Truth or Dare. I'm, I, of course, more than willing to participate in such a segment. That would be phenomenal. That's a great idea. How, how have we not thought of that? <laughs> it's so simple. <laughs> yeah, I know. Truth There's, or dare, dare. I mean, going well, across well, the middle with Ray Lewis coming at you. <laughs> we're going to have, I mean, that's kind of, I guess, what truth or we've kind yeah. of did just have a segment like that. We just didn't have the clever branding that Omar said. Yeah. <laughs> we'll workshop that. I definitely want to get more into stuff like that because, you know, that's the thing. Although I love the fantasy stuff. I, I really love uh, the entertaining hypotheticals as well. 
<laughs> but good to see you, Omar. By the way, I love Omar Foster. He's the he's the goat. We got we got the OGs showing up tonight, which well, is no, these are, these are the anybody guys else out there that thumbs up before you guys head out would be so appreciated too. And James speaking says, of legends, James James, says, hey, I don't know if he's still there, but I'm gonna I'm gonna just toss the uh, the invite link into the comments for the comments. Yeah, exactly. Remember <laughs> we had that streak where we called him like every single show <laughs> the entire year. Yeah, like, the I feel like there, there was like, one where he was. There was one where he was there and you weren't. You were in the hospital, maybe. Oh yeah, it was the appendix. <laughs> yeah, like so he he. I think his attendance was better than both of ours because I think there was a week I wasn't there too. Well, um, I did. Anyway, Campanelli says, "Hey, Wolf and Truth, so happy to see you both. Keep up the great work. Good to Thanks, see you, Dave. man. Oh, good. To he see also you. says, if Wolf is doing this on vacation or on his honeymoon, we'll have a dead man on our hands. It's possible. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know." I don't know how Hills feels about the big picture as far as like on honeymoon and stuff like that. Uh, that's the type of thing my wife would get pretty irritated about. But we've yeah, been I, I won't be going live on the honeymoon. I promise you that. I'm actually live, David, uh, from from her her parents' house right now. <laughs> so uh, this is kind of like my last before the uh, the wedding's on Saturday. So this is um, kind of like your RSJ bachelor party. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> OmarF says, "I'm at work. Next three hours, take all the time you need." That's what <laughs> I, I love. It. We run out of time. Omar, I'm glad we could drag this out for you. We really dragged it out for you, man. That's why we went as long as we did for you, Omar. <laughs> David says, "24 hours of truth. The world needs this." Uh, I'm not sure if that's accurate that the world needs that, Dave. But we we should at some point see if we can stay up 24 hours late and just do a, a 24 hour stream, like hour stream, where we just uh, get. <laughs> <laughs> really baked and just talk about all things fantasy and just kind of kind of live stream it for a full day <laughs> that's where the meaning of life would come out truth <laughs> right around hour 19 you'd, you'd, you'd start <laughs> real funky stuff yeah exactly i love it great idea. Dave says as a giants fan i'm not as high as danny dimes wolf is maybe 22 max i read that before hey i mean don't don't forget camping out though he had 24 as a rookie uh, you got Darren Waller now added here, and we saw Josh Allen go from 20 touchdowns to 37 in one year under Brian Dayball's tutelage. I, I think there's definitely room for a big second-year leap, and I, I am a Giants hater, and so I, I would I hate to say this. It pains me to say it, but I really think there's room. And, and I think your next point, you know, David, I'll, I'll pull that up. It, remember, you might not have Saquon. Honestly, I don't know that that would be a horrible downgrade for Daniel Jones himself. Yes, it hurts the entire offense. It probably makes him a little less explosive, but then they're leaning on Daniel Jones that much more, both as a runner and as a passer. That's kind of what made Josh Allen so damn dominant. Like Dayball strikes me as the guy that if they remove their best player, like Saquon, well, our next best player is probably Daniel Jones, and we now need to have him rope it a million and one times a game. So I, I yes, I get why it should look like a downgrade to not have Saquon, and it is as a holistic thing for the real life wise. But I think fantasy wise, that might even mean they lean on Daniel Jones that much more. I don't know. Do you? What do you think it would happen if if Saquon is out? Truth? Like, do you think that ruins Daniel Jones? Or do you think that helps him? It's tough. It's tough to know. I don't think he's going to be ruined at this point. I, I believe I believe in him enough where I don't think he's going to be ruined. I think having Saquon will help him, but I'm pretty sold on him being a. Uh, a starting fantasy quarterback, put it that way. I, mean, I really think he's going to be the blow up of the year. Like, you, not. I know 2018 we knocked Mahomes out of the park, and I know he's not going to be Mahomes. But like this, no, he's be not going to be Mahomes. No way, he's not Mahomes. He's not the player. But it's the recipe's not Mahomes. The recipe is what Josh Allen did. And it was the same, you know, mobility, and then he just took a big leap as a passer. I mean, Campanelli, he only had 15 touchdowns last year. 
and he still was a top 10 quarterback. So if he gets to 22, I mean, that's that's 28 more points than he had last year, and he already was a top 10 guy. So I, sure, maybe he only gets to 22, and you should still be all in. That's how I feel. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. All right. Um, Good question. Junashe Jaron Yama. Who do you like better, Marquise Brown or Deontay Johnson in full PPR? This is just a straight-up fantasy question. Who do you like better, Will? Ooh, that's a good one because of the full PPR setting. Like Deontay definitely gains a bit by being in a full PPR, but I, I'm just so all in on Marquise Brown and the fact that I think he could be as big of a target earner as Deontay Johnson, maybe even more so given that DeAndre Hopkins is gone. If you missed it, Kanesha, we talked about uh, Marquise Brown's one of my projections that popped on this show, 149 targets. Um, what, what did I end up having? I'm going to scroll up real quick to just find that one. Um so he averaged – so I have him going – his pace without Hopkins last year, 181 targets, 122 catches, 1374, and eight touchdowns. It was the wide receiver uh, seven in terms of fantasy points per game and wide receiver five in targets per game. So he absolutely became a hog. And so I have him going for 149, 91, uh, 1,046, and seven. And I think that's great. I know Deontay's due for some positive regression, but I love Marquise Brown. I, I, I'm going all in on him. Just I'm also I would also lean Marquise Brown. Yeah. To me at least uh, it maybe it would be close on paper, I don't know, but to me this wouldn't be a tough decision to make. Yeah. I, I, all right, we're both locked in on Marquise there. Toon says he came in third with the god. Thank you, Toon. Hey, there you go. So um, I guess the guy was as bad as I thought. <laughs> he also says he's in for a 24-hour Baker stream. He's got three plants that could fund it. <laughs> Love the funding. Uh, we got we got sponsored by Tunes' yes, card. We got funding. <laughs> and then he says if Saquon's out, defenses will pin their ears back. Yeah, I mean, definitely if Saquon is out. I, I, I agree that he will be affected negatively. I just don't think that – I don't think he's then going to be a disaster as, as a fan. Yeah, I, yes, and I, I just think maybe they pin their ears back. I don't think Dayball is smart enough to figure out how to deal with that. Defenses were going to pin their – you know – that's the whole thing against Josh Allen, how bad he was against pressure, right? And everyone was going to blitz him all nonstop and they're going to pin their ears back. That was, you know, coming into the, the league and ultimately, um, you know, why he was never going to be anything was how bad he was under pressure. And then Dayball figured it out and helped Josh Allen figured out. So, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I I just think it's not as big. The floor is not going to cater out like some people seem to think it will if, if Saquon's gone. Agree. And last but not least, um, Anthony just popped in. Sorry, I'm late. It's okay, man. Uh, I'm glad we great to see you, Di Lorenzo. Thanks for tuning in and saying hello. I'm sure I, I really think this is a good pod. I, I, oh, yeah, you, you should listen to it back. I actually think it was really good. I really enjoyed it. It's rare that I'm able to stay on for an hour and a half plus. I'm so pumped I got you this whole time. But, uh, this, this was fun. I, I love the opening stuff, I love the DACA and MOH debate, and all these were really fun. Awesome. Um, learned a few things. Had a good time. And, uh, you know, I'll see you on Saturday, Wolf. I can't wait. It's been, as, I don't think I've seen you since since we talked together, right? This is going to be the first time. Since I, moved. I mean, you have seen me a lot. I mean, it's, yes. it's funny. You're <laughs> one of the people I've seen, like, absolutely. I've seen you more than anybody since I left. <laughs> I've been in the same uh, physical uh, space as you in a while. Anna's looking forward to seeing you as well. I'm so pumped to see Anna too. Yeah. yeah, it's, gonna yeah. Awesome. You know, it's gonna be a lot of fun. And you know, looking forward to seeing you. I know obviously you're gonna have other things to do than hang out with me, but I'm happy uh, to be no, I'll make sure. We'll, we'll, we'll get yeah, to catch up. At least a few minutes. Absolutely, no doubt. I know CJ, 
uh, you and CJ will be at the same table. This is your first time meeting CJ too, right? Well, again, I mean, I've met him like a hundred times, but <laughs> like 200, 300 times, but yes, this will again be my first time in his actual presence. Uh, Looking forward to it. I love it, man. That's great. Uh, I can't wait. It's going to be a blast of a day. And, uh, and on that note, we'll let you guys know too. We, I am going to be off the grid obviously for the, the wedding, for the honeymoon, um, as whoever, I think it was Campanella who commented it. I would be a bad man if I tried to sneak in any streams, I'll, I'll be sure, you know, c- catching up with the news and checking things just cause I can't not, uh, but I won't be writing. I won't be doing anything. I, I have to, so it's, it's obviously tough timing, but you know, it's a, it's tough timing. It's also the best time of my life at the same time too. So I can't wait, uh, for the, this honeymoon, the trip, I'll be back August 8th and we'll be right back in a full gear. Uh, oh, we're going to hit the ground running when you get back, dude. I can't wait. I absolutely can't wait. And and of course, if you've missed any of the projection streams, we have tons of content backlogged for you to get caught up. If you're missing the wolf in your time, go catch all those projections, catch all the ranking streams we've done. And then we'll be back on August 8th with more than you could ever handle of us. So thank you guys all so much. So excited uh, for this coming weekend. Thank you all. I've been here uh, as long as you have and uh, cheers. I can't wait. Journal.com is where you can find all the content. In a world full of fancy sheep, guys, be the wolf. Later. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, oh, oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show. 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 Straight ahead. Devlin. Second effort. Third effort. Touchdown. That's pretty awesome. That's old-fashioned football right there, folks.